for today's message. I know you are. You're like, teach us, Rachel. I can't wait. Um, listen, today is a message where I'm going to need to hear you guys amen. I'm going to need you guys to say things like, keep going. That's great. I hear you. I agree. Thank you. Uh, so we're going to practice, like, if I make a point that's particularly, like, relevant to you, then you can, like, do a virtual high five or just say, like, let me hear you say amen, right? Can I hear it? Thank you. So uh, that will make today go so much better um, because today what we're going to be talking about and something that's been on my heart really since February, but primarily this week is how do we find the kingdom in the midst of all of the chaos, right? Like where is the kingdom in the midst of all of the chaos that we're experiencing right now? And the truth of the matter is there are so many narratives and storylines that you are being bombarded with all day long. And if you're on social media, there's even more. And if you listen to the news, there's even more, right? It is a crazy time to be alive. And a lot of these narratives have the same end goal for entirely different reasons. So it can be a little confusing to be an American right now. Amen? Amen. You guys are not confused. So virtual high fives. Awesome. Um, but here's the thing. I, I want to encourage you. This is just a freebie piece of information for you. But did you know mainstream media, doesn't matter which channel you do, Fox News, CNN, Breitbart, MSNBC, ABC, we could go down the list. They are all for-profit companies. Did you know that? Did you know that means they're not actually having your best interest in mind that's not the way the news works, right? So maybe back in like 1775, when free speech was being formed, there was this idea of having your best interests in mind, but even then, it still wasn't actually free. There has always been an agenda behind the news company. And so when you turn on any piece of news, you need to know someone is trying to sell you something. It's like when somebody comes door to door and they got that sham wow, right? Anybody ever suckered in to buy one? Just me? Okay, well, that's great. Uh, we bought one for Christmas gifts one year a long time ago. Thank you, yes. Uh, no, but they're trying to sell you something, okay? So here's the thing. I actually broke up with the news a couple years ago, and my life has been so amazing because here's the secret you need to know. If it's really news, you're going to find out. Like, somebody's going to tell you, right? Not much is actually hidden. And so uh, here's my challenge to you. Be informed. Don't let yourself be incited. Be aware, don't let yourself be aggravated, right? That might mean a couple scroll through some headlines and then you put it away. But if we're having it on all day long, it doesn't even matter the network, if we have the news going on all day long, you're listening to a narrative that is not coming from heaven. It might be truth at times. It might be good at times, but it's not in, like seriously invested in your best interest. So we have to be aware of that. Did you know that Facebook actually recently this last week was caught for, um, if, if you don't know how the algorithm of Facebook works, it's a computer code. It's not like there's one person saying, I like that post, share it, I don't, squash it. It's not how it works. They write it in with buzzwords and keywords and stuff like that. And so um, the, the riots and the aggressive protests were boosted in Facebook's algorithm and the peaceful protests were actually suppressed. So for the last two weeks and you're going, what is happening to the world? It's because the, the powers that be at Facebook don't want you to know the whole story. Even Facebook has an agenda. It's all for profit, right? They're all trying to make money. Every click, they get some money for it. 
All right, so all of that being said, we know this, right? We're, we're woke people, like we get it, right? We understand what the enemy's trying to do, thank you. Uh, and so what I wanna do this morning is I actually wanna talk about what's happening with racism in our nation, and I wanna do it in a way that you probably have not heard so far. Amen. Thank you, guys. I know you're so excited about this. Everybody's like, wait, what? Okay, don't tune out, okay? Don't tune out. Here's the thing. In America right now, I believe one of the narratives that God is saying, something coming out of his mouth, is that he is bringing awareness to something we have chosen to be a little bit, at least, indifferent towards. This has been going on, well, for hundreds of years, but the the national conversation has been going on for a while, right? There's been different moments that have happened, and we could go back even 10 years and see different tragedies of, of people who've been shot by police, for example, that have happened that are like, it come to the news, and then it dies away, and then it comes to the news, and then it dies away, and I think we're at this boiling point right now, and I want to show you, or hopefully show you, what I believe God is doing underneath all of this so that we can actually move forward, Amen. All right, so I want to make a note first is that, you know, the reality is, and I know some of you guys are really going to virtually high-five me for this one, but um, racism in America is not just an issue of white and black. It's, it's not, actually. We have a lot of racism in Oklahoma towards natives. We have a lot of racism towards people who are Hispanic. There's also racism that happens towards people who are white. It's, it's a big, prolific problem, but based on what's happening in the nation in this moment, we're going to primarily talk about people of color, specifically African-American people this morning, okay? So just so you know, I'm aware it's happening in all over the place. We were having a conversation, Candace and I, the other night, and I said, I said something about, you know, let's, we're not even talking about the racism against First Nation people, and she goes, yes, because there are books of that. And I said, yes, we know there are books and books of the history of Oklahoma, and you guys learn about that sometimes. But did you know, and I'm not going to do a show of hands, so I love you, uh, but how many people in here were alive in 1967, or your parents were? Don't show your hands, just think about, okay, you can, you can raise that hand, girl, I know you're proud, yes. Did you know, in 1967, there was actually a law against, like, fueling racism that was overturned in 1967, the last of the Jim Crow laws, that's when they ended. So think about it like this. Either you or your parents remember what it was like to live in a segregated world. So we're not actually that far from it, right? I think a lot of us want to believe we're so far, we're past it. Oh my gosh, the Civil War was so long ago. But we're talking about 1967 here. We're not talking about the middle, the late, the early 1800s. Okay. I'm not going to talk a lot about systemic racism this this morning because the truth is I am not the most educated person to talk about that. But here's what I want to say. When we are talking about what God thinks, we're going to look at some scripture, I want you to start thinking, is this what I believe I would want to live if you were not white, for those of you guys that are white in the room, okay? So I'm not going to say to you that there's the, that the biggest cause happening in America right now is systemic racism. I am going to say to you there are flaws in our laws, Okay? I also want to challenge you guys to think about, like, I know you guys are all on edge. It's okay. It's all right. I can feel it. I want to challenge you to consider it this way. The Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, these are sacred books and documents for their historical value, but they're not sacred and holy. Okay? 
So I think as Americans, and I am a tried and true American, probably not as much as all of you guys who have been serving in the armed forces in various ways. So, okay, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the patriot that cries every freaking 4th of July, God bless America. I can't help it. It's ridiculous. I'm like, here I am again, crying over this song while the fireworks go. I am a true patriot. But I also know that my allegiance is not to the Constitution. Right? So when we're talking about people who are our American brothers and sisters saying, hey, there might be something wrong with the system, then what we need to do as ambassadors of Christ is not say, I will defend this one document as if it is as infallible as the Bible is infallible. There's a little bit of a difference. We have to prioritize our allegiance and being an ambassador of the purposes of God comes at the top of the list. Maybe being an American comes number two, but it's not the number one, okay? All right, so when we're talking about the change that needs to come in America, what I'm talking about is the fact that change takes time. So 1967 to now, I'm not going to do the quick math, but it's been about two generations or so. A generation in, um, Webster would define it as somewhere between 20 to 40 years, but the Bible defines a generation 40 years, okay? So I want us to look at how God feels about the mindsets that happen that get passed from generation to generation, okay? So we have this interesting story in Numbers 13. It's the story of the Israelites. They just came out from the Exodus. I hope you guys are familiar with this. They were delivered from slavery in Egypt. They come out and then they um, send some spies into the promised land. And there's 12 of them that go out. Ten of them come back with not a good report. Two of them come back very much optimists, right? We got this, guys. Our God is no match for these, you know, giants. Yeah, they're a little scary, but we're going to slaughter them. It's going to be amazing. And the other 10 are like, you know, it does look nice, but this also looks nice out here. Maybe we shouldn't do it. And God is, if you want to read the whole story, read it in Numbers 13. God is so frustrated with his people for doubting what he wanted to do. And he basically says it like this. He basically says, I cannot allow this generation of people to move into the promised land because you will taint the promise with your mentality of lack. You'll taint the promise with your mentality of slavery. I can't bring that into this because this won't be everything I wanted it to be. Right? We recognize that. So what does he do? He's like, 40 years you get to wander around in the, basically the state, what is it, like the size of like New Jersey or smaller. Like they're not moving that far. If you really think about it just geographically, they would have probably known they're walking in circles. Okay? And, um, and so God says, I'm going to make you wander until every person over the age of 20 dies out. And then I'll bring you into the promised land. That is like savage if you think about it. But God was so adamant that what he was planning with this season of what the promise would bring could not be mingled with the past. And I want to say to you that I think we're in almost the same moment in time right now where God is saying, there is a move that I want to do. There is a worldwide revival I want to bring. There is a movement of my spirit in Oklahoma that I want to do. There is a billion soul harvest. We could do prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. Most of you guys know this, but I think God is saying, this mentality cannot exist in this move. And so we have to deal with every ounce of this mentality before we can step into what he has for us. And he's almost, I believe, not really willing to bring us into that place until we've dealt once and for all with what still lingers from the past. Our mindset is going to determine our role in the coming move of God. 
That's just the way that it is. Our mindset, our willingness to confront the lingering things from the past. Now, here's what I know because I know all of you in this room. I don't think you guys are racist. In fact, I know you're not. I know you guys are caring about all people. I get that, right? I know you guys, so I don't want you to think I'm coming at you of saying we have to change. What I'm saying is we have to be aware that there is a generational unspoken thing that still exists. And if we want to partner with God in this new season, we can't be indifferent to that. Amen? Their mindset wouldn't allow them to receive the blessing that God had for them in its fullness. And I believe our mindset, there's a lot of parallel to that. Our mindset is going to determine our role in the coming move of God. I think it's like this. There's a window of time that God has opened for us as his people, as his believers, right? I'm not talking about people who don't know him because he doesn't know, like they don't know him, right? So for those of us that are believers, there is this window of time that's been opened. And I think the boiling point that we're on right now is the sign, it's the signal that that window is closing. I think the amount of people who are finally saying enough is enough is the indication that God is saying it's getting close. And I say that to say this. We need to be paying attention to not just our own lives, but the lives of those around us. It's not enough anymore to quietly know the right thing and let someone else go on doing the wrong thing. Does that make sense? There was a time, uh, um, I don't know, 14 years ago, for example, that we were sitting with an extended family person that, that we don't really know very well, and they were making some unbelievably racist jokes. I mean, like, and the whole room was laughing. And I felt so uncomfortable because I didn't know these people very well, but I left and I said, you know what, we'll probably never do a family event with them again. Because I don't want my kids even thinking jokes like that have any place of humor in them. Not that somebody might find them funny, but I have to draw the line and say, we don't believe this. We believe in the sanctity of the human life, regardless of the color of their skin. And sometimes we are just indifferent about it. We didn't confront that person. We didn't say to them, what the heck is your deal, right? How'd you like me to tell that joke about you? Like, we didn't do that. But then there comes a time where that's not okay anymore. Where now we have to actually say something. And so in the last, I don't know how many years, I've been the kind of person that says something about it. I read this on a meme about a different issue, but I think it applies to racism in America. It was, uh, this dad was telling his daughter, just don't laugh at the jokes and then ask them to explain to you why it's funny. And it was specifically a, a statement about sexism, and I thought it was a really great point. It was like, oh, you know, you make a joke about somebody, about the way they look or whatever, don't laugh and say, well, I, I don't get it. Oh, oh, well, it's funny because, well, why is that funny? And about the third question, they're going to start realizing it's probably not funny, (laughs) right? This season that we're in, it's no longer okay to be indifferent, but know who we are. Now we have to be actively saying, this is the kingdom of heaven. And if you're going to say you're a believer, then you need to be in line with this. If you're not going to say you're a believer, then let's start with that, right? Because we're not trying to impose our Christianity morals on someone else who has no relationship with God. The morals and all the after things that we do, the the right and wrongs come because of the relationship we have. We get that, right? We're not like, it's not a morality thing. It's not a legalism thing. It's a thing of saying, okay, so if you don't get that, then let's start with relationship with Jesus. There's a window of time, and I think we're at the boiling point. And I, I feel like there's... I, I, I believe the revival that's coming is supposed to be a blessing to us. Is it going to be hard? Of course. Is it going to be challenging? No doubt. 
But it's supposed to be the kind of challenging that you go to bed with like satisfied exhaustion. Like this was epic. I loved doing this. It was really hard. That was crazy. But wow. Right? But the thing is that our mindset is so important. So let's look at how God feels about racism. I'm going to talk about some things that you probably have heard and some you maybe haven't. So Luke chapter 6, we're going to put this on the screen. Um, This is in the Amplified Bible, Luke chapter 6, 31 through 33. You'll notice right off the bat, this is the words of Jesus himself. This is as cutting today as it has been from the moment that he said them. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. So pause for a second. You, I think... I think in this day and age, we all have to ask ourselves, am I acting the way I want somebody to act towards me? It doesn't matter what you proclaim to be, how you are, your political, what doesn't matter, all the outworkings. It matters what's in your heart. At the end of the day, am I doing things that I would not want someone to do to me? Would I be offended if someone even, like, okay, a few years ago I was shopping in a store and uh, I was followed by someone, which has never happened to me before or since. I think I must have put my phone in my bag or something in a way that looks suspicious. And this person literally followed me throughout the store, a worker, because they thought I was shoplifting. And I was like, I got in my car afterwards and I was thinking about conversations I've had with friends of mine that are, that are black and listening to them talk about how often they get followed in stores. And I sat there in my car just crying out to the Lord because I'm like, that made me feel so vulnerable and so awkward and it's only happened to me one time in my life. I can't imagine this happening time after time. We're in this moment right now where our brothers and sisters who have color on their skin different that's not white are actually telling their story. See, they've been keeping it quiet. It's been happening. They just haven't been talking about it because white people don't always believe it. But now they're actually talking about it and you can do the fastest internet search of your life and find thousands of stories of people. One pastor I was listening to just the other day who said, yeah, I got pulled over because I was driving while black. And it was so common what came out of his mouth because that's a common thing, right? Now, I'm not here to say anything about the police. We love the police. There are some bad policemen and what we need to do is be praying that internally that they deal with what needs to be dealt with, right? That they're Uh, internal investigation people, all that, they do their job, right? Okay, so we all agree with that. But what I'm saying is when we begin to understand what it's like to live with a different color on our skin, then we have to take it a step further and say, so am I treating people the way I want to be treated? Do I want somebody to be suspicious of me before I've even opened my mouth just based on what I look like or not? And if the answer is no, then I have to check myself. Are you guys catching where I'm going with this? Treat others the way you want them to treat you. If you only love those who love you, this is what Jesus says, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Like, burn, Jesus, wow. He says, if you only do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. So what is God's stance on racism? It's not as simple as just saying God is like, racism is bad, don't be a racist. It's not that simple. There's a lot to it. I want to go back to the beginning. Okay, well, it's the second beginning. I want to go back to the second beginning with Noah in uh, Genesis. Okay, hold on, let me fix this. It's going to keep wiggling. All right, so uh, you guys know the story of Noah. Are we familiar with Noah? You can give me an amen if you are. Thank you. Remember, I asked you guys, let's be interactive. So, um, so, you know, at this point in time, rain was not a thing. I don't know if you knew this, but rain was not a thing. So even though Noah's, like, command to build the boat was crazy, it was crazy on multiple levels, okay? And so he builds this boat, and he, um, 
and he gets all of his family on it, and then the entire population of the world is wiped out through the flood. The entire population of the world. What this means is every human on the face of the earth today can trace their lineage back to Noah because the entire population was wiped out. So here's the thing. Noah had three sons, okay? He had his sons. Their names were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, okay? Now, I want to say to you, I did a lot of research on this, and I can't say definitively that what I'm about to tell you is the only application to their names. So I want to just give that as a disclaimer. But it is commonly thought that the name Shem has multiple meanings, but one of the meanings is brownish. The name Ham actually means black or burnt. And the name Japheth means fair or creamy. Here's where it gets interesting. Shem, the brownish one, after they got off the boat and they were sent into the world to fill it and multiply, Shem and his family end up in what we would call Saudi Arabia, the Middle East. If you trace the lineage, if you look at the maps and you see what they are today, Ham, the one whose name means black, and his family ended up in what we would call Ethiopia. And Japheth, the creamy one, his family ended up in what we would call Europe. Now it's starting to make sense. Fast forward a little bit to Genesis 11, which is not actually the chronological way the story tells, but in the Bible, how it tells it, the Tower of Babel, you guys know I love the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, all of Noah's descendants are there. And it makes the distinction that God dispersed them into different languages. It says nothing of the way that they look. So if you have three brothers with seemingly three different skin tones and all of their descendants with a whole myriad of different flesh colors all around each other as one people, as one family, and then God disperses them not based on what they look like. He disperses them based on how he sees fit by their language. Is this a picture of what God really thinks about how we get along? Here's the thing. God created diversity. Man created racism. Diversity has always been in God's heart. I love this quote John Gray says, diversity was the seed God gave us to see if we will lay down our culture and pick up his kingdom. I'm going to read that one more time. It's so good. Diversity was the seed God gave us to see if we were willing to lay down our culture and pick up his kingdom. Diversity was always God's idea. Here's another example. I heard a pastor say this recently, and I thought, well, that's, that's a very good interpretation of this scripture. In Numbers chapter 12, we see Moses' sister Miriam. So Miriam was a prophetess. She had a big role to play in the nation of Israel at the time, coming out of Egypt in the Exodus. And Miriam is a, a little bit of, um, she's a little prejudiced, and she's annoyed that Moses married a Cushite woman who had a different color skin than them. And she, I'm sure in her mind, she felt justified because it was not appropriate for Jews to marry other outside of their, their ethnicity, outside their race, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And so she goes to God, and she goes to Aaron, her brother, and she tries to stage a coup because she's annoyed of the color of skin on Moses' wife, of her nationality. And you know what God does? He's like, go, <laughs> that's a terrible joke, I'm not going to make that joke, okay. He's like, listen, he does what I do with my kids. All of you, come here. Right? You ever do that? Like one kid comes with a problem and you're like, we have to deal with this with everyone. All of you, I'll call all Eli, Callie, Jack, Grace, everybody get in here, sit down. We have a, a council of the couches. And uh, so he brings Moses, Miriam, and Aaron, and Moses is like, what's even going on here, right? 
and he begins to rebuke them in front of Moses for their prejudice. And then he gives Miriam leprosy. And this pastor quoted it like this, and it's, it's a paraphrase. I thought it was interesting. He said, it was as if God says, oh, Miriam, you like light skin? Let me give you the whitest skin there is. I'm like, yes, we have to understand there is no thing out of, there's no moment in the Bible out of God's heart that endorses racism or hatred, okay? Here's where it gets a little bit confusing. The people, Israelites, they were told by God to not intermarry, right? They were supposed to have separation from the other tribes, but here's what we have to understand. It was a moment in time to bring about the system so that Jesus could fulfill the payment of the law. It was never the standard forever, Does this make sense? It's the same way that the law was only temporary. The law only existed until Jesus could ratify the law and create the new covenant. The the system of like segregation, for lack of a better word, for the Israelites in particular, was about what Jesus was going to come to do and fulfill all of these prophecies. It wasn't about the hatred of others. In fact, Ephesians 3 puts it like this, that the mystery that was made known to them, we've talked about this before, was that all of us are actually destined to be with God. That God wants every single person, regardless of tribe, nation, tongue, color of their skin, whatever. And so when we look at it like this, we have to see, okay, so in God's eyes, there is no difference between people. There's just a different look on them. And I'm not saying, I I love how I've I've listened to several African-American pastors say it like this, that it's offensive to them when somebody says, I don't see color. And I actually kind of agree. We should acknowledge our differences. There's beauty in our differences. But what God is saying is that we don't make judgments based on the differences. Amen? We don't make assumptions based on that. So let's take this further. Revelation 7, 9. Every tribe and every nation around the throne seemingly as equals. They're wearing the same thing. There's no mention of their skin color. It's like when God sees mankind, he literally sees mankind. I I personally have a little annoyance when we talk about different races because we are all the same race because if we all can trace back to Noah, we're all one family. Every person on the face of the earth is all actually one family. And if you don't know what that's like to have a kid that looks so different than you, you're welcome to look at my offspring. My first three, I was like, what gives, God? (laughs) They're like blonde and blue-eyed. How did that happen? One of them's a strawberry blonde. I'm like, what, what is this? I don't look like that. So I started praying, God, would you give me one? And then the one that has brown eyes and her hair is still fairer than mine. So it's possible to have a lot of diversity come from the same couple. All right, so in my personal opinion, the earth was never meant to be segregated and all of the separation that existed was only necessary for a short amount of time to do something God was doing. So let's look at this racism. We all know this. Racism is a sin issue, right? Because it stems from, her- from uh, hatred in our heart. Racism is the fruit of arrogance. That's really what it is. It's the fruit of arrogance and elitism. When we talk about systemic racism, we're talking about a system of things that are beyond the conscious mind. It's kind of like your unconscious mind. Anybody ever drive home from work and you don't remember how you got there? Has that ever happened to you? It's like, oh, that was scary because I don't remember turning right on my street, but here I am. That's the subconscious at work. You were unaware of what your body was doing. There are things in our nation that we're primarily unaware to that are happening, right? Okay, um, racism is not limited to black and white. I think I've mentioned that already. Did you know that racism exists in every single culture in the world? 
just in the last like 50, 60 years, you can see in Myanmar and the Burmese people, unbelievable amounts of prejudice and racism. In Rwanda, 800,000 people slaughtered because of their nationality because the other ones didn't like where they came from. Obviously Hitler, we don't even have to finish that sentence. Um, Israel and Palestine, right, it's there too. America, it's in every single culture. So the question isn't, uh, what can we get away with, right? The question is never that. It's what is God saying for us to do, to champion, to be in line with him? Jesus actually talked about bias completely head on. He hit it head on over and over and over again. You, you may not know that in um, Israel at the time of Jesus's life, it was actually a political hotbed similar, if not maybe more so than what we're experiencing now. I think sometimes we feel like what we're experiencing is the extreme, but um, it was very common for the Romans at the time to just not like you, find something to fault you with, and then crucify you and leave your body up on the side of the road for days. That was like normal. So much so that when Jesus makes the statement, I'm going to be hung on a cross, the most scholars actually believe he was walking by somebody hanging on a cross when he said that statement. He's like, oh yeah, guys, this is going to be me someday. Like the most epic, like, oh, by the way, ever, right? And so he hits this head on. And so how does he do this? He, he tells the story of the good Samaritan. So Samaritans and Jews were like oil and water. They're kind of like Republicans and Democrats right now, right? <laughs> Can I go there? Is that Okay. Uh, and so it's like, if you're a Jew, like the, the Samaritans are just like, they're beneath you. Like, they're just ridiculous. You don't even touch them. You literally go to the other side of the road. There is no redemptive value in that relationship. They both felt that way about each other. And Jesus tells this story about the one, he tells the story. And what does the story say? The Levite passes by. Why does he do that? It's basically to say, look, the pastor passed by. The one who was supposed to be like me didn't even do it. And the one I'm honoring is the one who chooses to actually give his money to help the person who is probably his mortal enemy. Jesus is confronting bias head on. What is he doing? He's showing us that the way of the kingdom is always contrary to the way of the world. The woman at the well. This was huge, guys. You guys know this, that women at this time were not equals at all. <laughs> and so for Jesus to be talking to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman, was like, Break the internet news, right? I mean, it, it is like huge, huge news that Jesus did this, and he does it with zero shame, with zero care, with zero opinion about what anybody else thinks. Why? Because he was focused on whose business? The Father's business, amen? Every interaction that Jesus has with women is a great example of how the kingdom confronts bias. Uh, the gathering demoniac, you guys know this story? So he's the one who has the legion of demons that go in the pigs and they drown. So you might not have known this, that this area was actually a part of the Decapolis, the 10 cities. It wasn't really a part of Israel, and most of the people who lived there were not Jews. This is a good indication because you can't handle pigs as a Jew at this time. And so uh, Jesus is actually ministering deliverance to someone who is outside of the family of God. This is someone who at the time would have been seen as an enemy, mostly because mankind can't understand diversity in the way that God sees it, right? I guarantee you God did not feel hatred in his heart to the, all the other tribes and people on the earth. The, the, the laws for Israel to not intermarry were about preserving the commandments more than they were about um, a disinterest in the other people. And we have to get that in ourselves. The gathering demoniac, it's, this is such a crazy story that God does this, the way that Jesus interacts with him. Um, Jesus and the centurion soldier. So pick your political party that you like, don't raise your hand. And, um, and then imagine that the other person's favorite 
the other party's favorite person um, needs help and they come to your pastor and your pastor passes you by to go help them. This is a little bit what it's like when Jesus goes to the Roman centurion. These are the people who are oppressing their people. These are the people who are responsible. This is a leader of that movement. And Jesus is like, I'll go to your house, sure. I'll, I'll help you, yeah. He healed a couple different people in that way. It's pretty, pretty wild. Um, Peter has the, we can go on in the Bible, Peter and the vision of the animals really declaring, it was the foreshadowing of the understanding of the gospel going to all the nations, right? And then of course, Peter's, I mean, excuse me, Paul's entire ministry shows us what Jesus really thinks about bias and difference. It's a good place to do an amen. amen. Thank you, guys, great. Um, so what can we do about it? Like what can actually be done, okay? So uh, here's another quote I love. Are we trying, here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are we trying to stay at the level of our minds or are we willing to go higher? When the conversation is always only about law reform, and I'm not saying that doesn't need to happen, it does, but when it's only about that, I think we're staying at the level of our minds. I think if we're gonna actually see the move of God that God wants to see, we have to hit it from every side. We have to hit it with the law. We have to hit it with the people that we're gonna vote for. We have to hit it with sharing the gospel with those that don't know Jesus. We have to hit it with confronting those who still have bias in their heart. And we do it on every angle. Does that make sense? Um, so what can we do? We can pray. Listen, I said this earlier, but if you're not praying daily for the state of our nation, it's a good time to start. I really want to challenge you, even if you only do it this week, take every day to pray over our city, over our state, and let's just start there, or your neighborhood, start there. Um, get educated, but also watch less news, so, you know, good luck with that. And uh, just remember the news is not the best education source. Um, all right, we're going to confront ethnic bias in ourselves and those around us. Doesn't matter the color of your skin, right? And I'm not suggesting you go on Facebook and be like, listen up, all you losers, right? That's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm saying when it comes up in conversation, when you notice, when you've seen patterns, go to that person in a loving way. How do we do this? Well, let's take a look at, um, oh, I don't have that paper. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians, oh, sorry, Galatians, is it 3? Put Galatians 3 up there. Um... Can you go to the next one? Sorry, guys, this part didn't print off on my notes. Okay, go to Galatians 6. All right, so Galatians 6 is going to show us how we do this, okay? It says, my beloved friends, if you see a believer who's overtaken with a fault, may the one who overflows with the Spirit seek to restore him. Win him over with gentle words, which will open his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over him. This is a great key for America in 2020. Uh, love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one. You can go to the next one. As we carry each other's troubles. If you think you are too important to stoop down to help one another, woo, you are living in deception. Let everyone be devoted to fulfill the work God has given them to do with excellence and their joy will be in doing what's right and being themselves and not in being affirmed by others. Let's see the last part. The very last sentence of this says, every believer is ultimately responsible for his or her own conscience. This is a great scripture, right? If you're looking for one to memorize, pick this one. What is it telling us to do? Not to go out there and be offensive to everybody and how we try to win them over, but to win them over with gentle words. Why? Because you cannot have fruitful conversations in conflict. When you are in conflict with someone, you're accessing the self-preservation part of you. 
And the self-preservation part of you is like a defense mechanism, right? It's a wall. So if I want to plant seeds in your heart, it's not going to be very effective if I come out guns blazing. You are so wrong in everything you do, and I'm going to prove you right, right? How many people have ever had a conversation like that that ended in the way you wanted it to? Very few, and it lasts a really long time if it does, because you have to get past all of the like, abruptness into the place of gentleness where the seed actually gets sown. It's like the Bible knows what it's talking about. It's crazy. Um, so we're going to confront ethnic bias. We need to align ourselves and our kids with the word of God. This is really important. We need to align ourselves and our kids. We have to confront in our kids the stuff that maybe wasn't confronted in us right? Because it's not enough in this day and age to just be indifferent. Let's look at that other scripture in Galatians 3. You guys know this one. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in. Now this is talking about what I was telling you about. It was for a time, right? It was like a babysitter. It was until dad comes home kind of thinking. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. What does this statement justified by faith mean? A lot of us have a hard time with it, but picture if you're typing on a computer and your text is justifying to the left. That's what this means, that through our faith in Jesus, we are justified, we're made correct with God. Now that the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now this is where it gets real good. This is where we get to see the heart of God. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, according, heirs according to promise. You can leave this up. A couple of interesting things about this. It's not that God doesn't recognize where you come from. It's not that God doesn't recognize your gender. It's that the supreme ruling, the, the higher level of thought, is that we're not distinguished or, um, or judged based on that. Does that make sense? That we go into Christ and then we get to do that Revelation um, scripture in 7-9 where we're all standing around his throne in the same garments. We have now become equals and so we don't discriminate based on the categories. The Jews and Gentiles is the most epic, like cataclysmic difference and racist thing probably in the history of the world. And I know you might disagree with me on that. That's okay. But when you actually look at the, the depth of hatred that the Jews had for the Gentiles, this was the most biggest thing God could put, in my opinion, in the Bible to help us understand every bias you think is okay actually isn't. And then when it goes down here, what's interesting, it says, then you, if you're in Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. And I don't know if you know but if you trace the lineage, Abraham is actually one of the sons of a guy named Terah who goes all the way back to Shem. Do you remember Brownish? That's Shem. All the way back to Noah. And so we're all a part of the same family. And where I want us to, well, let me say one more thing before we land. Here's the thing. We have an opportunity in America to, to vote right? It's a big deal. I, I, my pledge, my, my goal is to stay very apolitical. You can ask me privately about my own political opinions, but the, the place here in this moment in preaching is never to tell you how you're supposed to vote. But my challenge to you is to tell you that we need to be thoughtful as ambassadors of Christ when we vote. Does that make sense? And so we almost don't get... 
As Americans, the Constitution gives us our right to have our own opinion. As God's kids, a lot of times the Lord asks us to lay down that right on behalf of what he believes. Does this make sense? It's a hard thing to do sometimes. It's, an, it's a countercultural thing to do sometimes. But if our allegiance is to the Constitution, then you go vote however you want to vote and don't even give a second thought to it. But if your allegiance is to him, then you need to be consulting him before you vote. Actually, President Obama put out a tweet a couple months ago, and I, I thought this after Ahmaud Arbery was killed, and I thought this was an epic, I was really thankful that he said this. Um, and he said something to the effect of every person that... Um, is in charge of a city in the ways that, that, how did he say it so much eloquently? I'm way past 140 characters now. But um, however he was saying, it was basically like, every person you're mad at right now is an elected official. That's basically the way he said it. The prosecutor, the district attorney, the sheriff's office, all these people are elected officials. But they're at a local level. And most of us don't exercise our right to vote except at the presidential election. But here's the thing. The presidential election is important. We need to vote for that, right? But we, if we have outrage over our city's issues, but we don't show up on Tuesday to vote for who's in charge of that, then whose fault is that? And so my challenge to you guys is we've got a couple of days, at least. I think the primary is happening on Tuesday. That shows how much I've looked into it. Thank you. Um, and so... You have a couple of days to start researching. We had a candidate come by our house this week, and so that's been my thing I've been doing the last couple of days is trying to find where do you stand on the things that I feel like God is breathing on in this moment because I don't want to blindly vote for you just based on a party line because at this point, what are party lines? They're just, ugh, makes me want to throw up when I even think about it, right? Not because the people are bad, but because this whole mentality that we, we almost like don't pay attention, Right? All right, said enough about that. So we need to vote. We need to um, confront the bias. We need to align ourselves with God's word. And here's the thing. I just want to challenge you guys. It's at this point in time, okay, let's, not, let's be people who are not on my watch people. Let's be the kind of people who are like not on my watch. I actually can do something for the people who don't look like me. I can stand up for them when they're not even present in conversations. And the thing is that's beautiful about this, it's the law of sowing and reaping. Every time you do this, you're actually sowing in to the greater picture to reap a harvest of God's kingdom in other areas as well. Does this make sense? Okay, so um, here's what I want to do to end. I want us to just pray, and honestly what I want to do is pray that what God is doing in our nation, specifically with the issue of race, that, that he will have his way. Does this make sense? It's not just about law reform. It's not just about, uh, okay, I did want to say one other thing. Can you guys give me like two more minutes? Amen. Thank you. I'm being silly. Um, I wanted to make a note too just about the Black Lives Matter movement, okay? And I've been listening to different friends of mine that are, that are white have their opinions about the Black Lives Matter movement. And I was asking the Lord, how do you, how, what do you think about it? What do you think about this movement? Because here's the thing. The statement, Black Lives Matter, could not be more true. Amen? It could not be more true. Yes, we could apply it to every person. But when someone is crying, when I have a kid that comes to me and says, uh, okay, a person in my family recently um, went into their room. It wasn't in my family, not one of my kids, but extended family. Went into their room and started crying, crying, crying. And this is what they were crying. Daddy doesn't love me anymore. Because they had gotten in trouble. Okay? And uh, it's kind of funny if you know the story. But also it was like, wow, this is really sad. 
And so this kid who's going, Daddy doesn't love me anymore, goes, like, when Dad comes home, does Dad go, I love all of you? And the one kid who's going, I don't know if you love me, but I love all of you, right? There's something powerful when we stop and say, and also you by name. Like, yes, all lives matter. Yes, blue lives matter, of course. White lives matter, of course. But when our black friends are crying out and saying, do I matter? And we respond by saying, yeah, everybody matters. Can you see how that doesn't always come across the same way, right? And so when we say yes, you, in your color, in your uniqueness, in your culture, you matter. You matter to this nation. You matter to this community. You matter in my life. You matter in my career, in my company, right? Do you understand? And so we, we almost have this frustration. I know that a lot of people struggle with this because the movement, Black Lives Matter movement, is not really going after your best interest in every single way. But the statement could not be more true, right? So I want you to think about it like this. If somebody tomorrow created an organization that was very anti-God, but they called it God is love. Oh, no, right? What are we going to do? Are we not going to say God is love because we might be associated with this person who has horrible ideals? Of course not, because it's a true statement, right? And so what I think, and the reason why I'm talking about this, and I know this might be annoying to some of you guys, that's okay. But I want us to understand when somebody is showing up to a Black Lives Matter rally, they're showing up because to them, Black Lives Matter, right? Very few people in this movement, in my opinion, are actually signing up for all the ideals of the people who are at the top of the movement. So we need to be careful in our own hearts of how we view them, how we extend grace to them, how we have conversations with them, and make sure that the people you don't know that are watching you are understanding what you say when you say things like, oh, I hate the Black Lives Matter movement or whatever, right? Because your kids don't always understand. Does this make sense? So I'm harping on this because I feel like as I was praying about it and I was like, Lord, to be honest, I don't really want to put that part in my message, Lord. That doesn't sound like something that's going to be real fun. But I put down my rights. I put down what I think when, you know, the, the reality that you guys might be offended at what I'm saying or other people might be offended. I have to lay that down because I want to be in right standing with God. In in other words, I want to be on his side of the line, that my allegiance is as an ambassador of his kingdom, not to my constitution, not to my right, to my own opinion. Amen? So here's what I want to do. I want to pray, as primarily white people in this room, that, that, that God would do what he wants to do with this issue in our nation right now in every way that he wants to do it. And also, I want to pray that there truly is reconciliation amongst the, the deepest places of our hearts where we're able to search our own heart and let go of even unconscious bias. Does this make sense? Because even though every person in this room might say, I don't have that and I might agree with you, that doesn't mean that that's not, that, that it's still true for other places. Does that make sense? So as Oklahomans, as ambassadors of Christ in Oklahoma, we have a responsibility to pray in line with God. Okay, I'm harping on that enough. So let's do this. Let's just take a moment. I'm going to pray. If you've got something in your heart to pray, feel free to pray that out loud um, along with me. And if you don't, you can just agree with me. But Father, I just want to thank you for what you're doing in our nation right now and the way you are amplifying the voices of those who've been crying out in pain. Lord, we, we, Lord, we should have caught this so long ago. And so I just repent on behalf of all of, of those of us who've, who've believed but also been indifferent. 
Lord, we thank you that you've brought us to the point where, um, where that's not okay anymore. And so God, right now, I'm asking for healing in the hearts of our um, communities around us, of the people of color in our nation, and also just in our city and in our community. Lord, for the, the subtle things that are, the hurts that are there, um, and even between relationships, God, we're asking for healing and forgiveness to be so abundant and prevalent in this season. And Lord, I'm asking for all of us that this would be a time where we are able to search our hearts and stand together with you in what you want to do. Because Lord, we decree and we declare and we prophesy that you are coming in a move in this nation. You are doing something. And when you do it, we will be standing alongside our Hispanic brothers and sisters. We'll be standing alongside our black brothers and sisters. We'll be standing alongside our First Nation brothers and sisters and our white brothers and sisters. And we want to make sure we get to be the true representation of your family. So Lord, we ask you to do what you want to do in this time. We ask you to search our hearts. Lord, we give you permission to grow us and change us and challenge us. And Lord, we ask for a move of your spirit over this nation. And God, we are praying for those who don't know you yet, who might want to be militant in their approach, who might have a different end goal in mind. Lord, we ask for encounters with you. Lord, we ask for open heaven visitations like you did with the Muslims in the Middle East. Lord, we ask for dreams in the night. We ask for dreams in the night for the anarchists, for the Satanists, for the Luciferians for the Marxists, for the communists, for the every other is, Lord. We ask for dreams in the night for divine encounters over their lives so that, Lord, we could be in line with what you want to do. And Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you that we are all one family. And Lord, we look forward to standing in Revelation 7, 9 around your throne wearing the same clothes as equals together. And Lord, we thank you that we get to be the picture of that on the earth even now. So Lord, bless our efforts, bless the voices that are speaking in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. Hope to see you next week as we do our prayer time.